Hello? 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 Oh, wait, oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Uh, I got I to gotta reconfigure Skype. Hold on. <laughs> I'm going to Re- do this on the fly here. Do it. Do uh, it. Reconfigure uh, this. Uh, audio, video, speakers, podcaster. All right. How about now? Much better. Good. Right. I mean, the oh, same. Thanks. The same for me. Much better yeah, for you. You're, you're, you're in my ears instead of on my monitor now. Uh, I'm not in your ears and on your mind. <laughs> you're always on my mind. Is now. that a in your ears and on my mind? That's got to be like a you know, 20 years from now. That'll be like a a song uh, just about podcasting, right? Because there's we the podcasting genre hasn't, uh, or at least the pop music uh, world hasn't caught up to how uh, important podcasting is yet. You know, they're, they're not writing. No one's writing songs about podcasting. Well, people are writing songs about podcasting. It's uh-huh. just that they're not, they're not in the popular culture yet. There, there's a whole there's a whole uh, song about a theme show for a podcast. That's uh, you know that have you have you so you don't listen to Accidental Tech Podcast? I don't. But I don't. Have you heard their their theme song that's written by Jonathan Mann? No, who's not not no, no relation to Merlin Mann. <laughs> not John. Not Merlin's sister. <laughs> Mother or brother mother, or any whatever. relation, as far as I know. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah. So we'll. I'll. I'll. I will find that. Uh, it's a great. It's a great. It's a catchy little song. It's about. It's about how uh, these three guys uh, made a, a podcast accidentally, and John didn't do any homework because Marco and Casey wouldn't let him. It's. It's great. It's. It's. A, it's better if you listen to Accidental Tech Podcast, but it's. It's still pretty great. What I, I mean, whatever. That's a, maybe that's a good way for me to get introduced to it, or or semi like jump in. I got a lot of podcasts to listen to right now. Oh, I have so many podcasts. I I'm so many podcasts. Oh my gosh! And and so uh, I, we haven't talked about this on the show, but I did text you a while ago. Now that I'm a, uh, a Patreon subscriber to Dubai Friday, which is definitely my favorite podcast now. Um, oh yeah. Now I got an extra twenty minutes of podcasting, thirty minutes of podcasting that I need to listen to every week. Um, and uh, they you, there was I don't know if you've already listened to this week this week's. Or last week's, I guess. But they talked about a Fortnite a bunch, and uh, which is uh, you know still the number one uh, pastime in my home, uh, at least when it comes to my kids. And uh, they referred to you as uh, they, they talked about in the there's a Discord channel for the microbiology boys, including Dr. Don. Uh, it's not a, it's not a Discord channel. It's a super secret text channel. Oh my gosh, I'm, I need so I'm not on that. Who are the other microbiology boys? <laughs> Oh, Who, no, what do you got on there? We got Martin Weedman or something? No, no. <laughs> wait, wait, where's my bell? Where's my bell? <laughs> uh, there you go. With on you with Martin. Yeah. No, he's uh no. So what it is, it's called I'll I'll send you a screenshot. Um it's called the Microbiology Boys, but it's really it's really just me and Max and Alex and Merlin. And Merlin mostly doesn't doesn't participate. Um so yeah, that's that's what it is. I'm kinda sad that I'm not involved in that, but I, I'm sad. I'm just gonna tell you that. I don't want to be I don't want you to take that to the microbiology boys group text and then and, okay. then, and then make it seem like I want in. I just I because that'll look needy. So I <laughs> well, I mean, there's apparently there's people that that just like want to get into like certain like Slack channels because like I think Max has talked about this. He wants to get on. Sorry, my dog is right That's here. Right. Max wants to get into the the Relay FM Slack channels just because he he doesn't he you know fear of missing out. That's a right. mil- that's thing that the millenniums do. Yeah, FOMO. I got a, I got some FOMO from this. I feel like I should be in, involved in it. Um. So. Ah, uh, anyway, uh, anyway, you got you got name checked in that. Is that is that yeah. is, is that uh, Brett Michaels that I hear? 
Uh, I don't know who that is. I don't know who Brett Michaels is. <laughs> we we some we often have guests, uh, and Stanley, um, my my dog, would normally be uh, also somewhat in the background shaking his uh, his collar so it jangles. Uh, but I'm at I'm in my office today and on the on the campus on the NC State University campus, so there's no uh, no dogs around. At least, I mean, no dogs in my office. There might be dogs around uh, on campus. Um, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Did that give you enough time for uh, for dog? I just rambled a little bit. A little, uh, that's that's what we do in the yeah, business. Yeah, no, he, well, filler. Well, Gibbs, 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 Gibbs has left, um, but Bianca has replaced him. Oh, um, hey. and uh, there's still there's still uh, lawn service people in the neighborhood. Although they they did finish at my house, so at least uh, you know they they seem to be right on our podcast uh, timing. Um, they, they come right around when we're supposed to have a podcast. No but, offsec uh, here. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, so, no, so, no, I'm not compromising my offsec I, at all. I think you might be. I think this is, uh, people know when you, when you're home and then, uh, uh, there's, there are people uh, driving around. I won't even give your, your town, but there are people driving around, uh, in, uh, small municipalities in New Jersey, just looking for, um, uh, folks that are doing uh, lawn care thinking maybe I will go and on a corner because we've talked about people cutting across your lawn uh, and a fence that was put up. Not anymore. Not anymore. And my, and my new fence. Yeah, I've, 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 I could say I pretty well triangulated my uh, my appearance for anybody or for my, my location for anybody who's interested. Oh so, gosh. hey, speaking of uh, speaking of. Um, Cards Against Humanity. Uh, so there, and, and podcasts. There yeah. is a very, and this, and also relates to compromising your opsec. So there is a very cool uh, podcast that I would recommend um, called uh, the Good News Podcast. I think we've talked about this before. We have. Right, and so they they did a thing. Um, let me see if I can find it here. They did a thing um, uh, on. Um, uh, oh, let me see if I can find it here. It's called, um, oh, it's not here. Um, yeah, sometimes, sometimes my phone, um, uh, Safari syncs with my laptop Safari, but not yet. So let's, let's look at this. It, it's basically a way of giving your location with three words. Have you heard of this? No, I like this. Um, this is this is great when you know the best kind of podcasting is when people look up stuff that they're trying to rem- oh uh yes um whatthreewords.com so go to whatthreewords.com um and basically got it got it's it. a way of specifying any location on a planet on the planet um in in like a t- with the 10 by 10 grid by three words and does what three words like find you like is it yeah like so let's uh let's explore the map oh um let's go to um yeah i'm not going to give you well where is that um i don't even know where that is but um so this so 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 uh for example i'm looking at um something that says uh kicks pasta steer which is the Wyckoff Heights Medical Center i'm not sure why that's showing up um but um, oh yeah, yeah it's the, find your three word it, address. Here we go. Yeah, I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna tell you what mine is. Okay, well don't 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 compromise your opsec too much. Uh, I but it's more it's fun if I do. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. I don't understand this. Pints, Adam, extra. Yeah. How does that work? How would they know that? 
it, that's just there's that's 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 the beauty of it. And so I send pints Adam extra to somebody, and they open it up in what three words, and then they're like, "Oh yeah, that's uh, that's this place." Yeah, like Manhattan, New York is apparently award tricks fish. Wow, what's the algorithm? People are amazing. Yeah, right? so I'm gonna I'm gonna look up uh, the uh, food science building at work, and uh, I'm gonna tell you that it is Buck Scam Dance. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna put my uh, finder. Now I'm just gonna do this everywhere. Ten, right? ten by ten grid. So. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, what three words? What three um, words? It's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. My my home, uh, not to can not. I guess this would just give away some opsec. Village texts stashes, and I I'm reading that as as in mustaches. Village texts stashes. Crazy. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't like. I I. Well, I mean, I get. Oh it. wow! I think I found you. Wow, that's uh, that's uh, that's really uh, bizarre and a little bit scary. That is okay. All right. Well, there you go. People can check out and if if someone <laughs> gets someone wants to come by my house who listens, uh, they can figure it out. It's in oh, Westerville. Yeah. Look at that. Oh, oh my gosh! It is like <laughs> it's not only your house; it's what room you're in in your house. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Wow. This you know this is how they get the terrorists, Don. This is it? Is it how they get the terrorists? I think so. Um, so, uh, so, and and you know, if you if you if you would like a a, a light, uh, low low burden, um, comes out like once a day, I think. Um, but it's uh, it's like you know, ten minutes less. Uh, good news podcast. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, so cool. We'll link to that in the show notes. Um, yeah, that's super cool. Uh. Hey, so what, uh, what? What's going? What's going on? I've had. I had. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. I, what's going on with me? I had this weekend a very fun weekend. I went to uh, the uh, Bluegrass Festival. Uh, the uh, why? I think it's called Bluegrass Wide Open, Wide Open Bluegrass, something like that, uh, in uh, in downtown Raleigh. Wide Open Bluegrass. Um, and, uh, my, my, the lovely Danielle, uh, had a, uh, a, a booth where she, where she was selling very cool signs, uh, bluegrass, bluegrass themed signs. Some, some of them were, uh, wide, wide open bluegrass.com. You can check that out. It's, uh, the international bluegrass music, uh, associations, music expo and awards and all the stuff that they do. I, th- I see why they call it World of Bluegrass because that other name is way too long. Oh, it is. It is. Um, so yeah. So we um, so we spent all weekend down there. Uh, I, Friday I took some some leave and uh, hung out. And uh, Saturday, so Danny, Danny was selling signs from about noon until midnight on both nights. Uh, and our Whoa. kids were yeah. So I and it, I did this last year. It was very cool because my. Uh, um, uh, our kids happen to be at camp this year, uh, at, or and last year, the same weekend. They go to a weekend camp that's uh, linked to our our Y uh, YMCA, and uh, so we didn't we didn't have kids, and, and Danny needed help, so I, I hung out and moved stuff uh, from the the car to her booth, and then went and got her lunch. I was like I was a runner. I went. You were, got, you were like you were like uh, you were like her wife. I was I, exactly <laughs> yeah. 
They, it was, and it was that's, awesome. a, that's a that's a sexist comment. We'll strike that from the record. Yeah. But uh, you are you are her helper. That's very that's very nice. That's that's good. You can support her in her career. I, I yes, and it was it was super fun. I I really just enjoyed just hanging out. Um. So yeah, and then there were a couple of vendors around us, and I went and got them beer because I was uh they were oh. they were amused, maybe not amused, amazed is maybe a better word at how quickly I can navigate the beer line to get back with beer. So they're like, well, dude, they know you are not a beer amateur. No, it's not you are, my first, you're a beer professional. Not my I mean, first blue, bluegrass wide open festival. I mean, you're no, you're no, you know, Bardo Kavanaugh, but I'm, I'm no, exactly. Oh, gosh. Uh, I like beer, Don. I like beer. Uh, so, yeah. So that was I, your tone's not right. Oh, it's true. I'm not yelling. More enough. angry, more angry, more yelling, more crying. Um, I yeah. So that was my that was my whole uh, that was my weekend. It was really fun. There? Did I offend, did I offend you? Oh no! Oh, but okay. I'm still here. I'm still cool. here. Cool. Yeah. Uh, okay. Sorry. You just you were suddenly quiet. I thought maybe I offended you oh, with of my course. political uh, commentary. <laughs> no. So so what? I didn't do anything. Oh, so what I did this weekend is well, we tried to go for Thai food. Um, we were unsuccessful. Our 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 uh, we po- I posted about this on Facebook and got got a lot of uh, feedback from folks. So, um, our uh, favorite Thai restaurant. It's apparently permanently closed. Um, so we went to our backup Thai restaurant and they were also closed, but only temporarily because their stove was not working apparently. So, well, that's good. Not, uh, they had an outbreak or anything like that. Uh, I don't think so. No, just their stove wasn't working. So that's good. Um, and then the, the other fun thing that I did, which took way too much time, was I upgraded um, to, I think it's pronounced Mojave, the, the new, <laughs> the M- new Mojave system. Mojave. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And it, uh, it went great, except that uh, I had like black lines around all of my windows. And I couldn't figure out how to fix it. Um, but it turned out at some point I had turned on um, a accessibility setting that was implemented differently in Mojave than in high Sierra. Weird. And uh, yeah. And it was like, I'm like, you dude, you just can, you can do your work without black lines around all your windows. And I'm like, I got to find out what the black lines are. I got to stop them. And so, and I ended up, I think I thought it was some sort of software thing. So I, I checked all the logical settings and that didn't do it. And then, um, I, um, uh, was, was like deleting all my login items. So I would just start with a clean That led to this disability settings, and I'm like, oh, that fixed it. Well, that was that was kind of embarrassing that I didn't learn <laughs> that sooner. And then I had to re I had to reinstall all of my login items. So, anyway, that's what I've been dealing with. After I told my son uh, after he did it that I thought it was a really bad idea for me to do it because um, I would be traveling for the next month. That I didn't want to screw things up, and then I proceeded to install it anyway. Um, do, but right, anyway, nice. it's all good. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, you decided that you would yeah. not heed your own um, uh, message. Uh, exactly. Hey, I texted you my, just to get back to uh, technology upgrades. I went and got a iPad Pro a couple of weeks ago, and I'm in oh. lo- I'm in love with it. It is my new best friend. Um, the I don't know what it's called, Magic Keyboard thing that it comes with. The fantastic, amazing keyboard uh, mm-hmm. is my. It, it is I love it. I am I I am not too far away. I can see it in my future where I will not have a computer. I can see it. It's it's maybe it's maybe eight years away where I will only have a tablet. Mark my words, Don. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I I did more email writing, word processing, blog posts on this in the last two weeks than I would have imagined. I love the multitasking, and I had that in my old um, 
my old like iPad Air, the multitasking is there, but I was like watching something on you know Sling TV, uh, my email open and writing stuff in drafts all together, and in, in a with, with I just carried a tablet, and it worked. It was awesome. So so iPad, uh, go get an iPad Pro, but probably everybody who listens to this already has one. Uh oh, did I lose you? Again, not to compromise our OPSEC too much, but oh, there you are. You're back. I think I lost you. Are you on mute? Uh-oh. Uh, oh, not, how about now? You're good now. Were you on mute? Oh, geez. I was. <sighs> I was not on mute, and you couldn't hear me, and then I went on mute. So. Oh, yeah. Now I, you're we'll good. Fix, we'll fix all this in post. I will. Um, I get to fix it in post this week. Fix it in post. So I, I don't want to compromise our OPSEC for later in the week, but we're going to be in the same location. And I would like you to uh, – so I, have, I, I love my, my uh, iPad Pro. I've got the small, the small size one. You have the small one or the big one? I got the small one. The, yeah. Not, not okay. the mini, like the, just the regular right. 10 and a half inch or something. Right. Yeah. Right. Not, not the, like the first no. one that came out was, was big. That's yeah. like carrying a um, desktop so I, monitor with you. The big <laughs> – it's like I don't need that. It's pretty big. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I I like I like mine a lot, but I only I use it for basically <clears throat> for two things. Um. I use it well. Well, for three. Well, mostly two things. I use it for reviewing manuscripts, which I only do with that. And I use a particular piece of software called iAnnotate, um, and it lets me you know whip through manuscript reviews. And then the other thing that I will do is uh, there's a an app for it called uh, Notability, <clears throat> which uses the Apple Pen. And basically, um, if I get <clears throat> PowerPoint presentations from students, to do like line by line, line edits on, if I just want to write on them in red pen, um, I use this Notability app and I convert the document to a PDF and then I write on it um, with uh, with that uh, with that app and uh, and it's it's and then and then email the document back to the student. And those are the two things <clears throat> that I uh, exclusively use my iPad Pro for. But I don't – the problem is a lot of my doing of email involves finding attachments, adding attachments, um, doing more detailed searches, which I can generally do. But I, I don't know. I'm just I, – I don't think in 10 years I will only be on a tablet. I think I'm going to be one of the last people using a, using a PC just because that's just the way my workflow is, is set up for so many things. I, so I'm – I think that's probably the case, but as soon as I can like record and edit podcasts really easily on a tablet um, and have it export to the website and do all the stuff. Um, but yeah, it, I'm, I'm, I'm well, um, I, I, I'm well thinking that I'm going to move, I, like move to it eventually. Like it's going it, to, it'll be there. Like I'm, I can see it. I can see it in my future. Yeah, and there are there are people out there um, that really do um, are really pushing the envelope there. And I know, like uh, I know, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Merlin talk about um, this Italian fellow, Federici, Federico Vatici, um, who who is a podcaster and uh, just a whiz on the iPad. Um, and so, for sure, if you should check him out, we'll we'll put a link in in show notes to all of his uh, blog posts and, and various things that he does. Cool, 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 cool. I'm gonna check. I'm gonna check that out. Um, that's all I get. I don't have any more like technology. We're not even watching stuff right now. 
Danny's been so busy with uh, getting ready for her, her the show last weekend, and then she's got three more shows I think in the next five weeks that um, I basically watch. Uh, I you know cook. I, I'm, I'm cooking a lot of food. I, I put our kids to bed, and then we're just doing hockey, and and then I'll I'll watch. I've been, well, that's not entirely true. I've been watching a show called The Tournament, which is another fantastic Canadian show, um, and it is. Um, uh, about uh, a minor hockey and a tournament that is in uh, starts out in Chateauguay, Quebec, uh, and it's a show from 2006. And you can't find it anywhere except for buying it on iTunes. And it's really funny. oh wow! It's like a, it's like wow. a mockumentary, but it's from mm. it's oh, from the CDC. Oh. But it and and it's but it but it but it, and it's it's fake. It's it, it yeah. really is a mockumentary. Oh, cool. Yep, yep. totally fake. Um, and is uh, very similar to what I. Uh, currently um, uh, live in the traveling around and doing a lot of hockey things. Oh, very cool. Um, so what, so what we've been, we've been watching, so a couple of different things. So we've been watching uh, the entire run of deep space nine, which we finished. And now we've started uh, the entire run of Voyager. Um, and then what, what we, we, and we use that as like a palate cleanser or to take a break from like the, the, the gritty um, stuff that we, that, that, that you can't watch more than one episode of uh, uh, a night. And that is uh, Jack Taylor, um, which oh, yeah. is apparently he's, yeah, you, uh, uh, Ian Glenn is the yeah. actor. Um, uh, he's in apparently Game of Thrones and, uh, Downton Abbey two shows that I don't watch. Um, but it's, uh, he's a cop, uh, turned private investigator and he lives in Galway. Um, and it's just, he's just a mess. Right. Um, and, but it's a, it's a, it's a really good, really good show, but it, it, we can't watch more than about an hour and a half, which is one episode before we're ready to, you know, just like, okay, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta do something to, to chill out. Where is where, where are you watching that? Is that on the Netflix? Uh, it's on Netflix. I just I tried to do a search for it and it took me to iTunes. But yeah, we've been watching it's um, we've been watching it on Netflix, um, and it has um, it has the first. It's it's weird because it's a it's a TV show. There's three seasons, but they're the 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 way that they're. I don't know. Well, we'll link to the Wikipedia article on it, but there's three series. We've been watching the first series on uh, on Netflix. Um, I'm not sure the other stuff is on Netflix. It, like I said, it's a little bit. You know, all this British stuff is sometimes a little bit weird in terms of how it gets how it gets out there. Like there's some uh, there, there's some that are, that are like being like, they show up in, um, um, IMDB as, um, movies. Uh, but they're really, they're really just Um, they're very, uh, there's, there's not, um, a lot of episodes in each series. So gotcha. Cool. I'm going to check that one out. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, so it looks like, all right. So I see, ah, this information in IMDb is not right. So there's, so according to Wikipedia, there's three series, three episodes each, and we are, um, uh, looks like, uh, midway through the second series. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so we just finished the, an episode called Priest, uh, which is about a beheaded priest, and and that's pretty, uh, that's pretty typical for these for these. They're they're it's very 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 dark and very very yeah very very gritty. It does not it's not sponsored by the Galway Tourism Board. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, yeah. So cool. Uh, hey, so I, we have a whole bunch of feedback, and I have some stuff I want mm. to talk to you about before we get to feedback. Is that cool? 
It's not like yeah, sure, let's do it. It's not like uh, I said that really dramatic, but it's uh, yeah. it's food safety related. So I um, so this the, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do two things: our ongoing uh, history of uh, Canadian cuisine, uh, at the same time as as talk to you about uh, a meeting I went to in Quebec City uh, two weeks ago. So uh, maybe was it two weeks ago? Or was it last week? Who knows? When was I there? Yeah, it was the 19th, two weeks ago now. Um, I got to eat a whole bunch of poutine. Um, and uh, so this is a, a Canadian delicacy. We've talked about Nanaimo bars. We've talked about female bacon. But we've not talked nearly enough. And I've, we've mentioned in the show. And we're not talking about uh, Vladimir Poutine. Uh, who, <laughs> who, uh, I'm talking about the uh, French-Canadian dish of French fries, uh, cheese curd. And brown gravy all mixed up together into uh, a gooey um, uh, mess. Um, and I went uh, to um, the IAFP affiliate of uh, in Quebec, uh, and it's uh, and I'm going to totally butcher this. It's uh, l'association québécoise pour l'inocuité élémentaire, which I think is the uh, Quebec Association for Food Protection. Or I think you're right. Lakia is or Akia is how that's the uh, acronym A Q I A A Q I A. So um, Julie Jean uh, and I, I will uh, pronounce her name uh, correctly. Julie uh, started the uh, Quebec affiliate uh, ten years ago. She's a faculty member at Laval University in Quebec City, and I've known Julie for um, gosh, like. Almost 20 years, 18 years since the first IAFP that I went to. Um, she was a postdoc with uh, Leanne Jacobs, and um, you know, as all things uh, run through NC State, uh, I was a graduate student at uh, the University of Guelph, and uh, some of the very fun people who were in Leanne's lab, um, who some of whom you we still we still know and still will fraternize with uh, occasionally, uh, like Kelly Stevens from uh, General Mills and Lynette Johnson, who's now here at NC State. Um, they I was hanging out with them as part of the student group and met. Julie, and uh, you know, uh, eighteen years later, she said, "Hey, we're having a uh, affiliate meeting. Can you come to Quebec City and talk about social media and talk about food safety messages?" Um, and so I did that. And I, um, I, the last time I was in Quebec City was uh, when I was in eighth grade, and I think that was two thousand or not two thousand nineteen ninety or nineteen ninety one. Um, and uh, I grew up in southern Ontario, and as part of, I think, all history curricula in Ontario in eighth grade, um, you learn about um, uh, Upper Canada and Lower Canada and the Hundred Years' War, which is the British and the, and, and the French fighting each other, and that led to really a fight over Canada and the establishment of Quebec, and, and there was a battle at the Plains of Abraham, which is in Quebec city. And so I went and like hung out in, in lower Quebec and that, you know, the last time I was there was one a long, long time ago. Uh, but what I wanted to tell you about, so that, and you know, really thank you to, to Julie and to all of um, the folks, uh, Andre uh, legacy who uh, helped uh, with my travel logistics. And it was a great meeting. I really, really enjoyed it, but I got to hang out with Michael Brodsky 
and and you know Michael Brodsky, right? Right, Don? Yeah, and we and, we, and you you were texting me. In fact, uh, you were texting me uh, minute by minute updates of your ride with the Brodskys. <laughs> it was amazing. So I the ride my ride with the Brodskys was they were so uh, Ava Brodsky, Michael's Michael's wife, and and Michael. And I think I think that Michael is a Michael. Don't call me Mike, Michael. Um, mainly because yes, uh, I like uh, uh, Ava would would refer to him as Michael, and a couple times I was like, "Hey, Mike, I got your call." And then there was it was like the you know a nice way of Canadian correction where uh, <laughs> where where so where where Ava would say, "Well, well, Michael saw that that you got a call or that he was trying to call you." So so anyway, it's Michael. Michael, not don't call me Mike. Um, which and that's not a if if. Uh, if Michael uh, Brodsky and, and Aver are listening to this, it's uh, a running bit. If we go back to the the history of uh, of um, uh, food safety talk, where there are other uh, Michaels, don't call me Mikes, uh, who we know in the food safety world. So um, really, only one. I <laughs> know uh, there's two. There's two. There's there's uh, you know no no we won't compromise OPSEC, but there's a retailer, and then there's a FDA person. Uh, Michael Michael, don't call me Mike. Um. So there's three now in my list. So anyway, I had a really lovely time hanging out and, and eating dinner with the Brodskys. And the the coolest thing about it was, uh, one, we ate poutine. And we will link to this. Or I ate poutine and they watched me eat poutine. And I ate poutine in <laughs> two different uh, restaurants and, and what I was calling on social media my tour de poutine. Um, but the, the second piece uh, of this was I, I really had this like – um, yeah, you and I have talked in, uh, over text and also I think uh, on the podcast at least once about um, a concept uh, podcast or video series of riding in cars with microbiologists and drinking, getting coffee. Um, you know, a play on Jerry Seinfeld's fantastic Netflix show, riding in cars with comedians, getting coffee. I, I, I it, it's not like I interviewed Michael about how he got into food safety, but we talked about how we both got into this and. Um, and then also like, I'm always so interested in that, um, with, with people that I kind of know, but don't really know. And I, I, I've known, I've known of him and we've talked before, but we never really like hung out for, for a couple of days. And I really enjoyed that. But he also shared, you know, I, I talked about how, you know, something I've written on, on barf blog, um, and I'll, we'll, we'll link to this. So you don't have to find this one, Don, but I can find it. Um, just like history of how I got into, into microbiology and, and in Doug's lab, and it was around um, the Walkerton uh, uh, water outbreak in two, May of 2000. And Mike Michael had a really interesting um, story about he was traveling to China on a, a project, on a labs project. And when he came back, he, you know, was, this is in the, in the time before international travel and roaming charges were were really like uh, affordable. And he said that he had a, on his cell phone, um, and I, I assume that at this time in 2000 that was a flip phone. But he had all these messages from the um, uh, chief medical officer in Gray Bruce, and his name was Murray McQuig, who is the guy, the public health person who oversaw the Walkerton. Um, outbreak and, and and so so Michael kind of shared his story of like getting off a plane and having all these messages and then calling this guy and like walking him through what they were seeing in the laboratory and then I was telling him a story about how I was you know following news and and doing stuff for the precursor to Barf Blog and tracking 
uh, how this outbreak played out in the news and then playing baseball with a bunch of guys who are from Walkerton and getting this connection of like, these are real people. And we, I don't, it was a, it was one of those conversations that, that I'll, I, I can still, you know, even though it was only two weeks ago, I can kind of still place myself into this. Like I was sitting there eating poutine, talking to Michael Brodsky about Walkerton and that, that I'll remember that, that feeling that, that, that the emotion of both of us had this two separate sides of that that outbreak but but they impacted what we you know really how i got into this world of of food safety and and michael as he was sort of coming you know he uh full circle in in his uh um in his career and in in moving towards retirement so it was really it was really interesting i enjoyed it i had a great time cool well that's 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 exciting yeah so anyway i wanted to share that with you um, and so to, to seal off uh, the ongoing history of Canadian cuisine, uh, poutine um, uh, was uh, a, a French-Canadian dish. Uh, it's, it is often imitated in the United States terribly. So um, how people go wrong with this, Dawn, is that they don't use cheese curds. They use shredded mozzare- mozzarella, and it doesn't work at all. It's not the same. You need cheese curds. And... Um, one of my friends who's from Wisconsin, I was posting these pictures of poutine on social media, and he said, I heard people talk about French fries, cheese curds, and gravy, and I always assumed that the cheese curds were deep fried because that's how you eat cheese curds in Wisconsin. Right. And they are not. It is just fresh cheese curds. So to go go get I, – I will – uh, maybe maybe you and I will uh, will as we will be close to the Northlands. Um, <laughs> maybe you will uh, um, uh, maybe we'll find some poutine uh, together, but it will be terrible. I, yeah, well, we should figure out what the delicacies are for uh, upstate New York um, uh, in the Rochester area, yes. and we should partake of those. So. Yeah, and so we'll we'll mention to people um, we are going to be doing a hopefully uh, it looks like things are going to work for a live episode of the podcast later this week, um, and so uh, that will come out at, at some point. Um, it looks like things are on track for to get us an, an audio uh, recording of that. So uh, I think we're we're in good shape. Absolutely. Um, oh, before we move leave, leave poutine, Don, because mm-hmm. we'll link to the poutine in the uh, the Wikipedia entry. My favorite. Part so I won't. I've I kind of talked about what it is in the regional variations portion. Um, they talk about uh, a line that says sweet potato has been used as a healthy alternative to French fries. The idea of adding dietary fiber and vitamins to this classic dish is widely endorsed by the public. Huh, <laughs> what? Huh, huh. what? What does Which that mean? Public? Which public? So yeah. that's and I, I click on it's referenced in. Uh, Michael, uh, sorry, uh, Suzanne Michael, uh, Playful Poutine Recipes from the Food Network. And uh, I'm going to find the uh, Playful Poutine Recipe. And I think we're just uh, someone who made a recipe that says you sweet potato says that the public accepts this. And I do not, as a member of the public, I don't accept sweet potato fries for poutine. What about in general? Are you in favor of sweet potato fries in general? Love, Love sweet potato fries. Sweet potato fries and poutine is not it's not poutine. It's like uh, it's like it's like using mozzarella cheese instead of cheese curds. It's like exactly. It's like <laughs> it's like making a pizza on uh, on lasagna noodles. <laughs> Seems like hey, a good idea. So, but it's not. 
So before uh, before we get uh, into um, uh, listener feedback, um, I do want to talk about something which um, I have no idea who might have sent this to us. Um, it's an article entitled Dirty Drinking Water at World Equestrian Games Food Truck Vendors. Yes. Um, and uh, I don't, I, like I said, I have no idea who would have sent this to no us idea. or how I even came across it. But <clears throat> apparently the World Equestrian the World Equestrian Games um, was uh, was was occurred somewhere uh, relatively uh, recently uh, close to you there, um, and apparently um, they have some problems with uh, with uh, with the whole food service thing there. So it yeah, did. do you have any 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 thoughts on this other than uh, the World Equestrian Games sounds like um, a very hot and smelly place? It does. It was. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of background. It was hosted by the Tryon International Equestrian Center in Jackson, I think. Uh, no, not Jackson. Um, in uh, Western North Carolina, in Mill Spring, North Carolina. I don't know why I said Jackson. Um, and really kind of an interesting, fun part of this. Um, so Mill Spring, North Carolina, Don, um, is in uh, a fairly rural uh, portion of, um, of North Carolina. It's in Polk County. Um, and I think, I think if I get my, um, my, uh, statistics correct, Polk County has a, a, a very small, um, environmental health, um, uh, office. And in fact, they have one environmental health specialist that takes care of this. And, um, they, uh, the, this, uh, world question games have been, um, on the uh, docket for a year now as a major event. Um, and I think it was like 300,000 people were planned to come through um, the uh, uh, total 20,000 people a day coming through the, the grounds. And that was um, a based that was before we had a massive hurricane on the same weekend. So, oh, yes. or, so there was going to be even, even more. So really, really interesting um, uh, public health challenge where you go from a nice, uh, cozy, quaint uh, county where where things are, are, you know, there's some tourism, but things are fairly quiet and, and, and you have the infrastructure to handle the restaurants and, and uh, institutions you do have. And then all of a sudden you add in like, oh, I don't know, a couple of hundred food vendors that are going to serve food to uh, 20,000 people a day that are going to uh, come through, uh, you know, lots of different spots. So um, it was kind yeah, of – so we'll, Yeah, so we'll – yeah, we'll link to this article, and I want to give a shout out to uh, the owner of the Farm to Fender food truck. Um, uh, they serve new Southern cuisine, uh, including smoked brisket and sweet potato black bean burgers. And uh, the the owner says, or the the, the uh, spokesperson says, um, that they've been using non potable water since opening. Um, he and the owner says, oh, "We're done after today. We feel it's not safe to vend here. It's not safe for our customers." He said not only was he being delivered non-potable water, but his refrigeration system failed twice. So, um, yeah, so so good for good for him. That was um, Jeremiah Jackson, uh, who owns the uh, Farm Defender food truck and also a bricks and mortar restaurant on Sweeten Creek, Sweeten Creek Road in Asheville. So so shout out to Jeremiah Johnson for doing the right thing. Thanks, Jeremiah. Yeah. And just just on this to um, to to go a little deeper into it. So. Um, they, so Jeremiah Jackson said that the, um, water was being delivered by a, uh, a group called food fleet. And this was water that was used to spray down portable toilets and fill hand washing stations. 
Um, and they're also storing fresh potable water in separate tanks, but on the same truck. And so there, um, you know, we, we know that there has been, um, uh, some, I guess I, I would say fairly famous, uh, foodborne illness outbreak, uh, back in the mid nineties, early nineties, uh, of, uh, some ice cream, uh, mix that was, uh, tanked in the same truck as raw eggs. And so, you know, it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't the, uh, um, the ice cream mix that, that was, uh, you know, through any way of, of processing that got contaminated, but it was in transport. And you could see a situation where, um, you know, someone who's bringing non-potable water and potable water in the same, uh, truck but maybe different tanks could have uh potential for um for crossover issues and the fact that um it looks like uh, public health folks said hey don't do this and it's not potable water um and the vendor continued to bring it that's that's a problem that's uh, that's an issue yeah and it sounds like too that part of the issue was that they didn't tell people right. um that they've been uh uh, uh yeah we're, we're using that water to cook with to clean with to wash our hands the fact that we were given it was given to us to cook with and people knew about it and didn't say anything that's why uh, jackson is is so upset so um yeah so yeah it's, it sounds like a just a giant mess as as you might expect for a, a, a large lo- location a large event like this um in a location without much uh, uh infrastructure so yeah yeah absolutely um, and then we'll link to the Schwann's uh, ice cream outbreak in show notes. Um, so uh, I want to talk. I want to talk about home food preparation. What do you think about that? Let's do it. So uh, a couple of listeners, actually multiple listeners, have have sent us um, some information about a law. Actually, a couple of laws that were that were passed and are being implemented in California, um, and I guess the the best source for um, for this uh, I guess analysis on this is an Eater article that came out on September twentieth by Mona Holmes. And so the article this is in LA Restaurant News. The headline is: "It'll soon be legal to sell home cooked food in California." Um, so. Uh, so two two food bills uh, uh, came out uh, the week before last. Were signed by Gen- Governor Jerry Brown, um, and uh, he signed the Safe Sidewalk Vending Act, and then California Assembly Bill six twenty six, the Homemade Food Operations Act, and this allows home cooks to sell foods prepared at home. Um, the the kind of the heart of this is really focused on what what's been defined in California as quote micro enterprise home kitchens. So all micro enterprise home kitchens that manufacture, pack, or handle any processed food must first apply for a permit. They cannot sell more than sixty individual meals per week and maintain no more than fifty thousand dollars in verifiable gross annual sales. Um, does not apply to food sold to wholesalers or retailers, and if complaints are received, the MHKs uh, will receive a health inspection. So, so essentially, the law, from my reading of this and looking at the analysis, says if you are really, really small, you need to tell us that you're going to do this, but you will be exempt from inspection um, for from health departments, and go you know, go ahead and, and make things in your home and sell them. Um, and so people have been, I guess, really interested. Well, I don't know how interested they are, but they've asked us for our comments um, on um, on this law. And I, you know, to to start things off, I've I've weighed in on in the past on um, home food processing 
uh, rules and, and regulations that we have here in, in North Carolina that are a little bit different than from this. They are, um, you know, we, we have certain ho- foods that you can make in home and sell it, but you have some rules to follow in your home, like you can't have a pet. Um, you can use your home kitchen, but you have to be able to, uh, to clean and sanitize it. Um, similarly to you would be able to do so in a um, in a, um, uh, processing facility and you can only do what our state deems as low risk foods. And so most of our home food processed home business, food business, uh, work is around things like pickles and jams and jellies, um, and maybe dried baked goods. But this, this rule, um, in California is, is way more encompassing, um, than that. Essentially it says, um, from, from what I can read, um, as long as you're making selling less than 60 meals a week, you can sell them right from your home and make them in your home, um, and you'll be um, exempt from inspection. So, what are your what are your thoughts? Well, you know, I, I'm of two minds about this, as we've often discussed on the podcast. I mean, I think you know, entrepreneurs are great. I think this is this is you know, people should be able to do what they want. Um, but at the same time, this is potentially a recipe for for trouble. Ha. Huh, Nice. Oh, uh, that's that's a that's a funny thing I said. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I, I guess I guess I would like to see there's some oversight, and I guess that there is some oversight. I mean, I don't know. This is this is this whole brave new world that we're entering into with uh, with things like um, you know with Uber ride sharing services, right? What's Obviously, the next one of the next logical things is like food sharing services, right? Why would I why would I go to a restaurant when I can just have uh, somebody who's my friend who knows how to make food make make food for me? Um, so, and you know, we do have a history with all regulations of exempting or or having you know different different regulations for small businesses um, to encourage that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, I you know, I mean, I like. I like what a, a friend of ours said, um, who said, and this, and uh, will uh, we didn't, uh, she didn't uh, ask to be identified, but we'll say, I'm not sure, but I think this is a great comment. I'm not sure why anyone would want to purchase food made in a stranger's home. Um, as I understand it by purchasing online, driving to their neighborhood, picking it up from their apartment. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm of two minds. I I think it's I think the entrepreneurial spirit is nice. I think people should be able to do what they want. Um, I think software like the kind of software that allows Uber is going to allow this kind of food sharing these food sharing services uh, to become more common. I just um, but but at the same time, yeah. I mean, uh, would you want to do it? I, I mean, I would. Co- well, here's the thing. Like we visited uh, New Zealand and uh, Roger Cook, uh, Roger Cook's wife made us a lovely lamb dinner, and that was fantastic. But that's a little bit different than um, <laughs> calling up, uh, going on online, and finding somebody who just recently moved from New Zealand who's really good at making lamb din- dinners and going over to their house and, and picking it up. So, um, yeah, I don't, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm conflicted. I'm clearly, I'm conflicted. I don't, I don't, I don't have an opinion yet except to say it needs to be regulated. But again, I know that that's as thought out as I've got my opinions yeah. on this right now. Yeah, yeah. So one of the, one of the things that, that I think is I'm, I'm with you. I, I think that, <laughs> you and I have talked about regulation as a, it's a risk management step, right? So, so we have a situation here where there, there's, um, 
someone has done some some risk assessment, and I, I my 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 guess is that this isn't a you know a quantitative risk assessment, but someone um, has gone through the process of saying, look, the the likelihood and chance of having a big public health issue from foods that are made in someone's home, just based on the number of people that are there, and what could go wrong, is probably pretty minimal. And are there you know, especially compared to, to restaurants, right? Like the, so restaurants have, um, a whole regulatory framework, risk management framework that that they have to go to that go through. And the thing that I find really interesting about this whole process, and it's the esoterica of it is that why 60, right? Like why $50,000? Why, how, how do, how does someone arrive at, at that magic threshold. And obviously it's not magic and I don't want to be tried about, about my comments, but, but where, what, what's the, what, what is like, show your work on this. What's your, what's your thought? Oh, I, I don't, I don't think that there is work on it. Somebody just picked a number and said, that looks like a good number. Yeah. Right. I, I don't think that there, there is no, there is no risk basis for 60 or $50,000 a year. So, I mean, yeah. I, I know I know when FDA writes a rule or USDA writes a rule, they are required to do an economic analysis and and they do have data and they're part of that. I'm not I'm not sure that California has that same level of requirement. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and you think about it like, well, we we do. And I, I think I'm having flashbacks. So one of the the my. Family housing at, at Cornell because I was a was a graduate student there, and we used to have these potluck dinners um, for where everybody in the apartment complex would get together and bring something, and it was really cool. And we we still do that in uh, the food science department at Rutgers. We have a Thanksgiving dinner where our international body brings all kinds of you know foods from their home countries, and it's really fun and it's really interesting. And you you are absolutely reliant on those people to do the right thing, um, and that's kind of shading towards this. Oh, and then and then we've talked before about about uh, church um, uh, dinners, right? And we know there was a massive perfringence outbreak at one of these recently. Right. And so, you know, church dinners, uh, people prepare foods all the time and sometimes they screw up and sometimes people, a lot of people get sick and sometimes people die. Right. I mean, that was a, that was unique, I think, because of the, um, susceptible population. But, um, and now we're talking about, well, uh, you know, as long as, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, uh, X number of meals a week or less than $50,000 a year, um, we're going to let you have a business doing that. I mean, that's, and I guess that's part of it is if you're doing this just because, you know, it's a, it's a community thing, that's probably a different standard than if you're doing this to make money. But if you're only making $50,000 a year, that's relatively small in, in the grand scheme of things, which, you know, I, so I don't know. Um, yeah, clearly I'm, I'm, I'm clearly conflicted about it and I don't have a, a coherent opinion except well, to, to say I'm, I'm a, a mixed opinion. Yeah. And, and this, this is one where, um, I think there's like some really interesting legal aspects as well. And I think about the, you know, the law that I know about in our state, um, and, he, I remember talking to an extension, like food law specialist, a guy who retired um, a couple of years ago, Ted Fitzsands, who would, was our like extension specialist, who was like legal guy, right? And and so he shared with me, and I, I don't have the, I, don't, I just tried to Google it and find it, but he shared with me that at least in our state, if I purchase food, purchasing something 
food for consumption, a service, something where I've exchanged money with you, I have an implicit contract with you. It's not a signed contract, but that contract that, you know, that, it, it, the, and I'll, I'll probably butcher the, his explanation, but it was like, I gave you money for something. I expect something in return. You accepting the money basically says, I'm going to give you whatever the product is and it's not going to harm you. And in, and I don't know if that's the same kind of situation in in California where having you know if I buy it from someone's home, um, and I'll, I'll use like my my own family as as an example on this. If someone buys something, they f- there's often a perception that someone else is looking over their shoulders, whether it's at a store or somewhere else, for some sort of regulation. And what I worry about the most is not the like it, if someone has you know le- leads to an outbreak is that they they don't that the purchaser here didn't understand that no one was walking into their home kitchen to check to make sure that they were doing things safely right like that that gap in understanding about the exemption of the law and that if individuals knew that they might make different decisions cuz in here it doesn't say anything as far as i can see that like you know like some of the other cottage food um, guidance that says, you know, if you sell something that's not in a um, regulated kitchen, then you need to have a label on it that says, like, buyer beware, this is made outside of a regulated kitchen. And we can debate whether labels work or not. But in here, I don't think that there's any provision for that at all. So I think that's really, like, that becomes an issue. It's not, I, I don't think that this is a big market. I don't think that it's going to start eating into real public health um, issues or creating public health issues. But as someone who wants to buy things, I and, and Uber's a really good example for this. I use that service. I have no idea. I've never really done the investigation on like if I'm in a car accident in Uber, are we like who's covered, right? Like what I don't I mean, I use the service all the time and I haven't done my due diligence on that. I just assume that someone's taking care of it and it might be that no one's taking care of it. Um and that they're fully exempt. I just I don't know. Well, but clearly people are using Uber and clearly people are getting in accidents. And if there was a problem, again, it's sort of like, you know, you want to, I mean, event, I mean, eventually things will sort themselves out. But the problem is that you could have catastrophic consequences before then. And again, and what, before we completely leave the subject, um, you know, it, it's different for every state. I mean, in New Jersey, um, the New Jersey Home Bakers, we'll link to the New Jersey Home Bakers Association. They're still trying to get approval to sell foods that they baked foods like cookies, relatively low risk foods. And New Jersey is one of the last states in the country to have any kind of provision That's just the realities of, of, you know, the regulatory structure and the culture in New Jersey is that it's, it's going to be um, – it, it's, if it comes, it's going to come um, later than it's come anywhere else in terms of, in terms of cottage foods. And, and like I said, you know, you can't, you can't even sell baked goods out of your own home in New Jersey. That's how restrictive it is in this particular state. Right, right. It's, it's really – like – so I think that folks that have sent us this, um, uh, I don't know. Maybe coming from uh, a perspective of this is really bad, or the, you know what we're going to have outbreaks, and I don't, I don't know, I don't think that you and I are reading it the same the same way. I think that it's an interesting decision, um, and 
if there if there are illnesses and outbreaks, and we have, I mean, the thing is, we have illnesses and outbreaks linked to um, unregulated foods or illegal vendors in states now, and it, this this just. I don't know. It's like another it's it, I don't see it encouraging people to do this. Maybe maybe it does. Maybe it removes a barrier for more people to to actually make it out of their home. But I think people are doing this stuff anyway and selling it on Facebook and you know I I've shared some stuff with you over the years of go, you know show up in a parking lot at Walmart and Wake Forest and for $8 you can get a a quart of or a pint of uh Brunswick stew that looks like it's been you know it was made 4 days ago and and someone's hopefully has been hot holding it and people buy it and people sell it and it exists and and that all happens without the exemption it's right right exactly and yeah and i mean and we you know this is rel- relative to the same discussions we've had around raw milk and distribution systems in new jersey where raw milk is cannot be legally sold where you you know you go over to pennsylvania and you bring it back and you leave it out some raw milk is probably riskier than, than homemade foods generally. But uh, yeah, we just don't we just don't know. And that's that's the other thing, too, that just occurred to me is we know we have a pretty good idea of the burden of disease from, you know, large distribute. Like if somebody if ConAgra makes peanut butter uh, that has salmonella in it, right, or soy nut butter that has E. coli in it and people get sick, we're going to learn about that. Um, if, if you if you mess up or I mess up cooking uh, a burger on our backyard grill it's really unlikely that anybody's ever going to learn about that. And so we don't really we, – we have a good sense of foodborne disease risk from restaurants. We have a f- good sense of disease risk from, um, you know, uh, food processors. Um, what the risks are from improperly prepared kitchens in people's homes where people are not necessarily food safety experts, we just don't – have the data we don't right. we don't know because because those outbreaks often skate under the radar and so what we're doing here um uh with um with this skate under the radar that was uh, i think i was mixing my metaphors there. yeah yeah <laughs> um, let the cat let the cat out of the hat exactly <laughs> <laughs> um but uh, and one thing that's for sure is going to happen is that we, if this, if these are risky practices, we're going to see outbreaks in California, and then maybe we'll have a self-correction. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just interested to see how it happens. Uh, how, yeah. You know, see what happens, well, uh, and which is terrible to say. Well, this is an experiment. We're, we're experimenting with the lives of people in California, but you know, there it is. Well, and I'll. So I'm going to um, send you the link to the actual legislative note or the text here because there's a really interesting of course if i i'm trying to uh, send you a uh, a square root sign instead of uh, command v um so in in here it says like i was i'm interested about the uh, the permit okay so how do you get a permit well it requires the applicant uh, applicant for a permit to operate a microenterprise home kitchen operation to submit to the local enforcement agency written standard operating procedures that include specified information, including all food types or products that will be handled in the days and times that the home kitchen will potentially be utilized as a microenterprise home kitchen operation. I, what so? And this will this will be a call out to our public health folks because we know we've got some listeners that are in, in this world of local public health. So if you give me something that says you have to look at a standard operating procedure, do I have a chance to like give you feedback on it? Or is it just, here's my standard operating procedures. There's give me my permit. 
And is it, uh, it, it really depends on how this gets implemented on whether you have a chance to make food that's made at home safer or not. And it, it doesn't say anything in here that I can see about approving that um, standard operating procedure, reviewing it. It's just like, here are standard operating procedures. And, and, and there you go. So I, th I feel like there's, there's a missed, there could be a missed opportunity there where if a public health person looks at those standard operating procedures and is like, well, you know, if you made this decision, it'd be a little safer and provide that feedback, not as a regulatory response because it's exempt from inspection, but as kind of like, here's something that you might want to think about that it may, um, may be able to make some of that, that food that's already on the market safer. But it would be a headache. Like, I wouldn't want to be in public health trying to deal with this. Like, we we are already, um, you know, with a lot of the the stuff that we're doing with HASA plans and variances to the food code, we're already dealing with um, with with local health departments who are overtaxed in their um, in their time and under capacity for what they need to do to get to look at other, you know, to evaluate science. And and so that's the yeah. See, that's see, the other thing. See. see. Yeah, see, see, for example, dirty drinking water at the World Equestrian yeah. Games that we just talked about, right? Exactly. There's a, a public health infrastructure that's already overstretched, and now we're talking about stretching it further. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Um, so anyway, it's a real, I think this is interesting. I agree with you that this is an experiment that we're going to sit back and, and watch. Um, I even, as you said, um, you're talking about, like, well, we don't know a lot about what happens in homes. Similarly, we don't really know a lot about what happens in restaurants other than what happens when the inspectors are there, right? Like, we, that, that's one of the things that, that my group's really tried to focus on, been at for 10 or so plus years, is the, the limitations of what we see during inspection. And not, not to say that inspection is bad. It's not. It's good. But it doesn't give us a clear picture. So even So let's say we threw somebody into a situation and said, okay, let's look at all these standard operating procedures at homes. What are you making? How does it look? What are the risk factors? We don't do a lot of that in, in restaurants. Right, and and we also know as we you know we because it's now it's it's the time in the podcast where we talk about Ruth Petran's articles with Craig Hedberg, um, which which basically show that there's a lot of things that restaurants do or that a lot of, of aspects where restaurants are inspected that don't really seem to be protective of public health, and there's a few things that they do that really do seem to be right. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah. So anyway, well, yeah, I mean, we're not going to solve this one. But not today. No, but thanks to folks in California for giving us some something extra exciting to think about. Because I, I will bet, just like I'll, I'll move away from using a computer at some point in the next ten years, I will bet that this is not the only um, home cooked meals out of a home exemption law that we're going to see in the next year. I bet. I bet this comes up again, right? Like because someone read this eater. Uh, column uh, that you know that that follows the food industry and sees it in North Carolina or New Jersey and was like, you know what, we can move this through our legislature as well. So this is going to become more prevalent. Yep, I, I think I think you're right. Um, yeah, cool. Well, good. Thanks, thanks to folks for uh, for asking what our opinion is on these things. I always uh, that's that's the best part about what we do on this on the podcast. Um. All right. Some... So let's so let's let's do some more listener feedback. Let's do it. Okay. So uh, so this is uh, a message from um, Laura who says, uh, "Please share all details freely." I'm a big fan of the podcast and usually listen to you guys before any other podcast in my queue. Wow. Thanks, Laura. That's, That's huge. Um, 
you've also led me to discover other podcasts I now love, such as Pod Save America and Do By Friday. Wow, that is that's really cool that um, that we've inspired people to watch uh, to listen to some of our our favorite podcasts. So that's that's pretty cool. So um, so uh, she says uh, first. Uh, so she has two questions. First, I recently ended up arguing with a stranger on in Facebook comments, as you do, about washing raw chicken. Um, uh, the, the person I was arguing with switched their argument to say they didn't mean that they washed it when, with water, but rather citrus or vinegar, um, which, again, according to Laura, sounds more like a marinade than a wash. She did some quick Google searching to see if anything uh, supported the idea that a rinse in vinegar or citrus would make any difference. Uh, common cultural practice, but would it make any difference? My, my answer to that question is that a lot of people think that washing stuff with vinegar or lemon juice is magic, uh, but it's really, in, in my opinion, and based on research we've done, it's not very effective. Um, we did some research a couple of years ago in my lab uh, looking at ceviche, and what we discovered was that lime juice, which is the most acidic juice that you can use, was pretty effective against Vibrio, but it really didn't do much against salmonella. Um, now, those studies were in fish, but I would suspect that if you took um, – uh, uh, chicken and you dipped it in in lime juice, uh, full strength lime juice. You wouldn't see much much effect. Um, I did a Google Scholar search, and uh, our friend uh, at Drexel University, Jennifer Quinlan, um, who, who created a lot of controversy with her "Don't wash your chicken" message. Um, uh, uh, she did some research on this, and uh, the punchline sentence from her abstract reads: "Results indicate that acidic washes." result in live salmonella both in the wash as well as remaining on the chicken. Washing raw poultry in diluted lemon juice or vinegar solution is an inefficient method for removing pathogens and results in pathogens in both the wash water and on the chicken, increasing the risk for cross-contamination. So um, that would have been my guess, but but props to, to Jennifer for actually doing that research. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, you know, I mentioned a few episodes ago about our consumer handling uh, project looking at washing chicken um, this year, and one one of the things that um, that I'm uh, we're hoping to generate some data on um, and maybe answer the question in a more complete way is when people wash chicken, what does it mean, and how far do the the pathogens that are potentially there could they spread? And a lot of what what Jennifer. Um, and you know her messages and, and the work that she uh, did relied on it was a, a really small study from Camden BRI Roy Betts's group um, on chicken washing and um, I w hopefully we'll we'll be able to to add to the knowledge base on that and you know right now um, we're we're not in a really good spot to talk about like preliminary results but the the goal for us is to to give a little more. Um, uh, to look at that message and see how uh, necessary, r realistic, important it is, or if we can be more targeted with our with our messages, um, and and so that's the, I mean I'm all I'm all about chicken washing, but this is another one where I think we've created a dogma uh, situation about it, and we don't always go back to the original source on where the dogma came from, and we may find that the dogma came from. Um, a, a small lab-based study and not real mm -hmm. life, and not real mm -hmm. life. Right. Right. Like, yep, uh, yep. so, so anyway, that's, uh, that's one of the things that, that hopefully, uh, you know, a year or so for now, we may have some more, um, some more knowledge in the public realm, uh, on to, so we can come up with better messages because chicken washing is like, 
it's it's uh, emotional. It's uh, it's religious in in some parts of the in some parts of the world. People do it, and they don't know why. I mean, as we ask people why they do it, they they say because there might be salmonella on on chicken, but then they also say it because their grandmother did it, and they don't know why. Uh, and it's kind of an interesting area. It's it's very emotional. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um. And, and so Laura's uh, Laura's second second question is about the workplace water cooler. Uh, you want to move on to that? Yeah. Yeah. Let's move. Okay. Um. So uh, recently, a sign went up next to the water cooler in her office, stating that the water spout from the cooler should not be placed inside the mouth of the water bottle when refilling, as to not quote promote the passing of germs. Um, she writes that the handwriting on the note <laughs> gave away that it was left by a particular germ-phobic co-worker, um, and I drink from a cup, so this doesn't really even concern me, but I was wondering if there is any real risk between putting the spout of the water cooler into the bottle versus just near it, or whether someone who doesn't put the spout in the bottle was at some sort of a risk just because other people did. Um Anyway, um, so uh, I, uh, I think her, her, her assessment of the risk of the water place water cooler risk is right on target. Um, I, I immediately um, I'm thinking of somebody like Max Temkin um, from Dubai Friday yes. standing around the water cooler telling people what to do. But um, yeah, so I, I don't think the person is wrong, but it's hardly a high risk practice. I would be much more interested to know um, what's the hygiene of the person that replaces the water tank. Um, do they clean off the top of the water of the water bottle? Like I know we have these uh, water cooler that's where you literally take a big bottle of water, you invert it and place it onto the cooler. Um, but it, but those water bottles, those big water bottles sit around for a long time. They sit around on the floor. They can get dust and debris on them. And if you didn't wipe off the top of the water bottle before you in upon you know splashing so um i would be much more interested to know what the inside of the water cooler looks like uh whether the water cooler is ever cleaned or sanitized um and again uh my advice is that she should not share any of this information with her coworker. it's just going to make them more more concerned um i think uh water coolers are low risk um they i, I think there are bigger risks from uh, beverage dispensers. And we did some research quite a few years ago, and we'll link to it on um, inspecting university dining halls. Um, we don't do that part of the project anymore. We, we've focused our attention on temperature control because I think it's much, uh, much more important. But we did have a particular person on the project who was very interested in the sanitary quality of dispenser tips. And it turns out that uh, dispenser tips can become contaminated. Um, when we tested the beverage, um, it wasn't significantly affected by the number of bacteria on the tips. But you could, especially depending upon the nature of the, uh, the juice uh, that was there versus the soda versus diet soda, um, the juice dispenser tips do occasionally get high concentrations of bacteria. And we had a couple of publications, one specifically focused on juice dispensers. I think that there's certain dispensers that are not well designed where you can get some contamination inside the dispenser and there's not really a good way to, to clean and sanitize that. So anyway, um, uh, that's that's my thoughts, uh, my thoughts on water cooler sanitation. Did you have anything to add? Yeah. So I mean, I'm, I'm going to connect this to another question that, that we had that was that came to me, um, not through uh, food safety talk, but it's, I, I think it's analogous because it had to do so with surface of cans and canned goods um, at, that may have been touched by floodwaters. And so you were, I, I see them as, as similar because you're looking at this mm -hmm. like 
um, piece of equipment that in one case may touch the product that you're consuming, the water, and in another case, not touching it at all. And, um, and so let me, let me find the, uh, um, the question that, that I got on this. So, um, this one came, uh, and I won't, uh, I won't, uh, can compromise OPSEC or anybody who wants to talk about it, but, um, basically the, uh, question came from, uh, institutions that had cans, um, and they said, okay, we flat found some information from the Indiana State Department of Health that said concerning flood conditions and metal cans. Um, they said if airtight cans are in good condition, they can be salvaged. However, they must be carefully cleaned and disinfected before using the contents. And they gave some, some procedures on how to do that. Remove the labels, soak the cans in some sort of disinfecting, uh, you know, or, and really what they mean is sanitizing solution. Um, rinse, um, and then dry them to, to, um, uh, uh, reduce the chance for, for rusting. And so this question came to us, um, and we answered it by basically saying, yeah, that, that works. Um, at, you know, absolutely. Um, and we have some, some information about what to throw away if it's waterproof, if it's cans, um, that did, uh, um, you know, stuff that has come in, uh, contact with floodwaters, if you can clean and sanitize it, especially in, in foods of low risk or, uh, sorry, low, uh, in areas of low economic uh, uh, situations where food may be uh, problematic, if if you can do it, if you can clean and sanitize the outside of it, it's it's just like the nozzle, right? Like it, it uh, or the the cap of that water bottle. It seems really like it's really low risk. And and as we answered this question, we got a a push a, a question or a message back from the person who originally answered it saying thanks so much for this uh, by the way the people who oversee our facilities uh put out a message to everybody saying you know what let's just throw out all the food and a really like to me um that's an interesting risk management decision it's yeah well it's really a certainly wasteful. very conservative one uh and 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 yeah and, and quite and quite wasteful yeah um so so anyway but it's it's the same kind of thing right like if you if you look at those nozzles, you know, can you find bacteria there? Absolutely. Can you find bacteria there like a hundred percent of the time? Probably, right? Like based on your your sampling. If we looked at the, and I'll, I'll get to pathogens here in a second, but if we looked at the outside of a can in non flood waters, can we find something on the outside of it? Probably. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, uh, do we increase the likelihood that a pathogen is going to be deposited there if it touches floodwaters? Yep. But is there something that we can do? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Chlorine. Chlorine's great. Right? It so, works. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. I think people get really, um, we have trouble in times of high emotion and uncertainty in rational science-based decision-making. And, and I don't think we'll change that. I think our, our job is to point out that what, you know, that decision is an interesting one. It don't say that it's risk-based cause it probably wasn't. Yep. Um, so, so yeah, anyway, that's my, that's my thought on the, on the nozzles. And I, Oh, I do want to point out that, um, this, uh, oh, oh yes, sure. sorry, sorry. Um, that, that there was an outbreak linked to water coolers, uh, a couple of years ago, it was norovirus, but it wasn't linked to the water cooler itself or the, 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 um, the equipment, it was linked to the water source. And so I, I would say that the water cooler, if I'm looking at risks associated with water coolers, the water in it, the water in it 
is is where I would apply a higher level of risk than the than any sort of growth and contamination or transfer that's happening in the equipment. Worry more about the source. Yeah, and I was going to say before you revealed the punchline, I was going to say maybe it would be the person who was uh, distributing the water bottles, right? Like yes. if, the, if that person is sick with norovirus and they're touching the outside of the water bottles and they've got norovirus on their hands because they're shedding large quantities, um, that that would represent a risk. But yeah, but in fact, yes, you're right. It, it's uh, the, the the biggest risk probably, at least in terms of the known outbreaks, which number in the in the number of one outbreak, um, it was the uh, contaminated water source. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, good. Good. Thanks for that that feedback, Laura. Yeah, uh, and then uh, oh, oh yeah. go ahead. You go. You go ahead. You go. Okay. So this is from um, Deep New England. Um, uh, she says uh, she writes about uh, that FDA has approved a phage-based product as a food processing agent against E. coli, and they've issued grass status uh, to to this particular company for their product called Phage Guard E, a new surface intervention to combat E. coli 015787 on food products. Um, I'm curious as I'm generally skeptical about all of these phage-based, bacteriophage-based technologies um, because they don't work if the bacteria are not growing. And so what the way that the, what bacteriophage is, is it's a virus, but it's not a virus that affects us. It's a virus that affects bacteria. And so if there are bacteria present and the bacteria are trying to grow and the phage get inside the bacteria, then at, so the nature of viruses is that they don't reproduce outside a host. They, re, they rely on the host genetic machinery uh, for them to to be able to grow and reproduce. And so if the bacterial uh, um, um, replication mechanism is shut down because the bacteria are resting on a surface, then there's nothing for the virus to commandeer. If the bacteria are actively growing, the virus can get incorporated into that and then can, can sort of siphon off some of that genetic machinery to make more viruses, which can spread to more bacteria. But basically, as my understanding of the technology is that the, it really only works when the bacteria are growing. And so um, it, that means it's not, it, it's not going to be particularly effective on a surface unless there's conditions that promote bacterial growth. So it's not, it's not, it's not an alternative to chlorine because it's not going to kill bacteria that are just sitting there. But it would be, um, you know, it, it's bacteria static, not bactericidal. It'll stop the levels of bacteria from going up, but it's not going to cause them to go down. So that's my that's my reaction. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I I actually uh, thanks to Deep New England did a little bit of. Um, digging on um, on this company, and there's a white paper that you can read, but you have to sign up for it. Um, and I, I mean, I think exactly what what you said um, is the the most important part. If we look at ground beef, we look at ground chick or you know, muscle chicken. We look at deli meats. Maybe deli meats and listeria. It's a little bit different, but if we're looking at um, uh, pathogenic E. coli or salmonella. We are halting the growth by using temperature, um, and we run into other problems once there's temperature abuse. So, by keeping uh, those things refrigerated, um, it it, I, it it greatly reduces the the chance that this phage is going to work. And and so it's not. I, I'm 100 percent with you. It's not fair to equate these things with um, uh, compounds, chemical sanitizers, other, you know, changing pH, other things in product, because it, it's not, um, 
because you're not going to get the you're not getting the growth. And so so anyway, there's um, it's some some really interesting stuff on. Uh, I, I think it shows promise in places where you're allowing for growth. Uh, but doesn't have the same um, impact uh, in those places where you're not, um, and and so I'll 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 send you I, I'll send you the link to this, Don. I don't know if you're able to to link to it the actual white paper, how much it's like behind the um, behind the, the the paywall or the subscription wall, but but check it out because um, it's it's also I mean we had a similar conversation about. Um, you know, other technologies a while ago. I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast, but someone called me up about um, some other technology that was like rapid, you know, rapid uh, uh, detection uh, on surfaces or whatever. And these things all sound good, but once you you pull back a little bit on the the data and the practicality, um, it's there's not they're not a magic solution. They they may be part of someone's tool toolbox at some point. Yeah, I I would agree. Um, all right. Well, let's move to, um, did home food prep law did that. We did, uh, um, deep, we, uh, talked about, uh, deep new England was one of the folks that asked us about the, home, the can, the, uh, mm-hmm. uh, California stuff. Oh, selling plants with soil attached. Soil attached. I yes. like this one a lot. Okay. So this is from a listener who says, Cheryl details freely. Uh, we've talked, uh, 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 this is from from John Kimball, who's uh, been a listener to the podcast for quite some time, and we've we've talked to uh, uh, to John over Twitter and in other places. Um, and so his comment is, "Hey guys, I thought I'd try the website to contact you this time. Came across something that raises questions in my mind, and thought you might find it worth discussing. They're selling herbs at the grocery store now in clear plastic clamshell style packages that have roots still attached with soil. Do you think there's a way to do this safely? I can appreciate." the appearance of buying the whole plant or the appeal, I guess, of buying the whole plant rather than the trimmings that uh, the consumer perceives as a bit more process. But the soil seems to be a huge risk, at least for the very young or elderly. Of course, anyone immunocompromised should avoid these products. The other side of the equation, of course, is the risk of pathogen getting into vascular tissue of herbs when they're cut. I'm not worried about the mint that's going into mojitos, (laughs) but the cilantro, (laughs) that's another story. Um, what are your thoughts um, on the future of the fresh green and herbs industry? Um, is there a place for raw labeling here and you know, pathogen free? We'll get into that. But really, really interesting, um, really interesting question. And and I'll I'll come I'll throw it back to you in a sec because you answered um, uh, you know, John. But I have a really I have some um, some experience I guess in this area uh, from a personal level because we buy um, uh, like. Uh, um, hydroponic uh, lettuce, and I've seen it produced in the same way with the with the roots on, and, and with a lot of moisture. And so, um, soil and hydroponics, I'd put in the same similar kind of category, not the same category, but where you have a lot of moisture, and that that irrigation water and hydroponics is recirculated. Um, but um, in some work that I did a long, long time ago, when we looked for pathogens in um, in that recirculated water, it would not be something that I would consider to be potable water, um, by any means, but it is, um, it was difficult for us to find pathogens in it. And we didn't, this is back, um, 
almost, you know, like 15, 20 years ago when I was working with um, the Ontario Greenhouse Vegetable Growers Association doing work research for, for my master's work, um, we spent a little bit of time up front of that project looking at irrigation water. Um, we'd find coliform and, you know, no, no big surprise there. But after taking a couple hundred samples, we didn't find um, salmonella or even non-pathogenic, you know, generic E. coli um, in it. So it's it's there, but uh, the bacteria will be there and it'll be recirculated. But I, I do I, I wouldn't characterize it as really really high risk either. Yeah, I I would agree. And so my uh, so so John John characterizes it as a huge risk. Um, I don't I don't think it's a huge risk uh, just because you know bacteria are on fresh fruits and vegetables. You know, even if they don't come with soil attached, right? Because of right. the nature of how they are how they are grown. Um, and so, just because there's a high microbial load doesn't mean you know that there's a risk. Because if they're not pathogens, it's not a risk. Um, we buy. Um, uh, basil from our grocery store on a regular basis that that comes like this. Um, we have actually we have a, a project um, that is uh, was funded by USDA. That's uh, the uh, your your new colleague down there at uh, North Carolina State University, Deep T. Salvi, yeah. um, is the PI on that. And so we're looking at uh, plasma mist as a way of uh, ensuring the safety of these products, uh, affecting hopefully lengthening shelf life and improving uh, quality and safety of these products. And so we'll be learning a little bit more about it in general. Um, we had a conference call on the project and somebody who is who who is very familiar with this says that a lot of the reason why that they would prefer to sell these things with the roots still attached is that the shelf life is much longer on the on the products with the with the with the roots attached than if you cut them off they just they, the quality uh, degrades very very rapidly and so there's a good a good reason whether it's hydroponic or whether it's with with soil attached and so I uh, you know it really depends upon uh, how you're managing the microbiological quality of that soil generally um, rather. Then um, you know, if you if you have pathogens in the soil, that's that's a problem. But you're but if your production practices and your uh, you know manure or, or soil quality management practices are such that you're managing that, then uh, it's it's probably as low risk as um, if you didn't have soil there. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and again, this is another one where I think it's. Um, it's open for for more data because there just isn't a lot there, and maybe that's a that's an area to to look at um, for those who are doing um, microbial survey work in, at retail is to get a sense of how much um, you know how many roots are there, uh, in, roots in products, not roots within the product, but uh, you know how often do we see this, and is there any um, you know any any microbial di uh, difference? What I what I have experienced in this sector is that the root on type product is is more likely and this this is just going to seem anecdotal but it's more likely to come from smaller um processors or not processors uh, growers than those who are are super large in my experience as they're trying to find some market differentiation and so that also may play into how how well enable their uh, uh how well they're they're managing and how able they are to manage the soil and or water that they're using um through that if it's if it's a large part of their business or a small part and if it's an add-on or or not because it's yeah it's it's def it's definitely um not the not the norm with many of the 
um, greenhouse and herb productions that I've seen. Cool. Yep. All right. So uh, last bit of uh, listener feedback. of meal replacement powders. Uh, and this is from uh, someone who says, you can read my message, but not my name. And so I'm going to call this listener Deep Powder, which I think is probably the best nickname that I've ever come up with. So so Deep Powder, thanks for your question. Uh, he says, I've been listening to the podcast for a few months. I really enjoy it. Uh, this falls into your recent request for food safety observations. Uh, it's not really uh, observation so much as an inter infor information vacuum. He says, I started uh, eating a meal replacement product, uh, which is billed as a new nutritionally complete meal replacement, and I like it a lot. Um, it, the, the, this, this meal replacement um, is made from foods that have been linked to outbreaks such as flax and from oats. Um, and uh, he also talks about that a similar product, Soylent, has had a recall um, because of salmonella. Um, he says he almost tried Soylent, but the salmonella and other risks were enough to stop him. Um, his, uh, his guess is, his opinion and guess is that the risk is probably low, but he doesn't know because uh, um, he doesn't know anything about how the company is managing food safety for their ingredients or the finished product. So um, uh, I think that um, he's correct in that he is at the mercy of the company and whatever tests that they're doing on their ingredients, which are minimal, or the tests that are done by the ingredient suppliers, which are probably also minimal. And then, of course, we know that testing is not a very good way to assure uh, food safety. And then, of course, it all depends upon, uh, you know, whether they're using uh, blockchain or some other uh, great technology to uh, hashtag. hashtag blockchain um, uh, to link batches of product tied to existing outbreaks. Um, I think the overall risk is low. would be relatively easy to detect because an epidemiological question like um, or uh, an epidemiological pattern like I I consume meal replacement powder X uh, would jump out pretty quickly if there were a lot of people that were eating that that powder or that that product um, because it's a unique um, you know signature that would that would show up in the epidemiology it's like oh everybody that's getting sick as a bodybuilder and they're all eating this particular um, this particular product so um, uh, the other thing that I wanted to point out to him uh, from a non-microbiological point of view is that I, I just worry a little bit. And, you know, this this is very popular with the, with the kids and, and both of my sons have reached out to me about Soylent as, as a meal replacement. And I'm like, well, that's great, but you really shouldn't have any one food, even if it's a com quote unquote complete food. Um, uh, you shouldn't rely on that food. I mean, we know a lot about nutrition, but I still think that you know, we're, we're, we're complex, uh, entities and, uh, yeah, so you should, you know, my advice was don't have more than one or two meals a day from this, just from a nutritional food safe, nutritional safety perspective. And his, he responded back and said, yeah, I just, I have like one, one meal a day. So, um, yeah. So anyway, that's, that, that's my, that's my thoughts on, on, uh, microbiological safety of powders. Yeah. And, and the only thing that came to mind in, in this was just calling back to a few months ago when we had the Kratom outbreak as an ingredient. Yep. So you're, I mean, you're exactly right. The, um, the, the, um, the signature may be linked to meal repl replacements, but what I, my, my guess here is that you've got multiple like folks like Huel or Soylent, lots of different things that are using similar suppliers for the constituents and ingredients into those meal replacements. So it may become like if you're eating meal replacements, you know, we may not get to the, to the actual source of the outbreak for a while because it's a smaller kind of market um, on where the supplies are coming from. 
Uh, and the Kratom was a really good example. It was like, hey, there's a whole bunch of people that are eating things that have this supplement in it, but we can't figure out which of the supplements are the, is the source or if it's all of them and if it's coming from one supplier or multiple or whatever. So anytime when we look at these ingredient-based outbreaks, that's, that's, that becomes a problem um, or yep. a challenge, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Well, we, went, we ran through our feedback. What are we going to talk about uh, on – what, when we get together uh, later this week on on Wednesday, now what are we gonna? What, what do you want to talk about there? We gotta have to set a schedule, right? Well, well, so I think we can do questions from the audience. Yes. Uh, I think that our host has seated us with some questions about a particular she book has. of science fiction uh, stories uh, or science fiction book series, um, and then uh, I think uh, I've, I've still it's been sitting in the Dropbox for a while, but I want to kick it forward again. I want to talk about germs in airports, but before before we're finished today, I do just want to uh, talk once again about this uh, uh, PLOS article on oh, yeah. uh, recent trends in unpasteurized fluid milk outbreaks. And we talked we talked about this. I think I was, you know, vaguely positive about it. Um, but but friend of the show, uh, Mike Batts, or I guess Michael Batts, um, maybe is his name. I don't I don't know. No, uh, it's anyway, not. No, the, that's, that's the other, not, it's the other not, one. It's not his name. That's nope. the other one. OK. Yeah. Um, so uh, Michael Batts, um, uh, Mike Batts, uh, Batts. Uh, the bat signal um, uh, actually read the article and he pointed out that there's a little bit of uh, BS in figure one. So if you look at figure one of this outbreak of this uh, manuscript, it's basically outbreaks associated with unfluidized, uh, unpasteurized fluid milk. And they have done a uh, it's basically just a, a bar graph and they've done a polynomial regression, which basically shows that the number of outbreaks has peaked and is going down. Um, if you actually digitize those data and you do a simple linear regression plot, the uh, R squared uh, or the R squared is low, but the, the, the linear trend is up, not not uh, up and going down. And so uh, Mike uh, correctly called out uh, them for a little bit of bogus statistics on their figure one. And so I think it would be uh, we would be remiss if we if we did not uh, we did not um, mention that. And I also want to give a huge a huge shout out to uh, Web Digitizer, um, which is a free online tool for digitizing uh, plots like this, which enabled me to very quickly go in and uh, extract data, which I could then plug into Microsoft Excel and make a uh, make a digital plot. And so we'll link to uh, Web Digitizer uh, in the uh, in the show notes as well. This was amazing. I really appreciated this whole conversation going on because you know this isn't this isn't my thing um and having that really like uh critical eye looking at this and being like and you know um mike also shared um or you might have shared this the curve fitting pdf i don't know where that that came from oh uh, that's the yeah, from the X, xkcd cartoon yeah uh, on curve fitting it's really it's really good and it's it's quite uh it's quite apropos so it is it is and i mean basically You've got all these data points, and depending on how you're going to fit the curve, you can make the line go the way you want it to. Uh, well, maybe not make it the way you – you have many, many possible options to make the line go. Um, and so I, I really appreciated um, you, you and, and Mike both taking the time to, to do this because you know, I, this, this is one that I, um, that I missed as well, right? Like I looked at it and I was like, oh, yeah, well, okay. They're – they're saying this, so let's talk about their analysis instead of um, looking at that data a second way and finding some other analysis that may have come out of it. So, yeah, cool job. Good stuff. Uh, I think, I mean, I think that's a show. What do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, we and we've got plenty of other things here, uh, which are relatively recent that I will roll over just so that we're sure to have plenty to discuss uh, when we're at uh, Geneseo. Um, I do want to talk about uh, Mike Bazzacco's paper. Um, we'll just do some yeah. teasers here. Uh, Mike, Mike Bazzacco's paper on um, uh, consumer devices in the kitchen, which is old, but somehow came across older uh, earlier this year, but came across my desk. Um, uh, uh, yeah. And so, uh, I want to talk about sugar smacks. We haven't, we haven't been doing a lot of news lately. So no. I want to talk about sugar, sugar smacks. Um, I want to talk about, um, uh, FDA's move toward releasing retailer lists. Um, I do very much want to talk about whether we can blame Trump for E. coli and romaine lettuce. I think that's a really interesting article. Um, and as much as I would like to, um, blame, uh, the current uh, occupant of the white house, uh, I don't think we can, but, um, it, there has been a lot of chatter about, um, uh, water testing and, and the fact that, um, water testing is, uh, being delayed, um, with, I think some, for, with some good reason. And then of course I, I do also want to talk about whether a dishwasher should be used for washing, um, potatoes or not. So yeah. we'll, we'll save all of that for next time. And I got one on, um, salmonella in, uh, Costco delis that I want to talk nice. about. So yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll do that. This is just a teaser. Cause you get a super extra, hopefully special, uh, bonus live podcast from us later this week. Awesome. All right, Don. All right. Well, thanks again. And, uh, I think that's, uh, that's the show. So, uh, we'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're coming from Michelle, and, and maybe something yeah. wind up. Yeah, we'll, 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 be, we'll be done. We'll be done. Yeah. yeah. Um, hey, so um, how is my audio? Not great. Um, there were a few yeah. times where you were in and out. Um, so, and was it the same on my end? Was I in and out for you, or was yep. it? Yeah. Okay. Well, so why don't you? Because this one's mine. Why don't you upload your audio, and I'll listen to see if there's parts of both. Like, I where it really cut out a few times was like i couldn't hear you and then you were talking and then um and then by the time you were done talking i could hear you again so yeah and the, sa the same thing with you and so basically you would stop talking or you would be talking and then it would cut out right in the middle and i, I wouldn't interrupt or say anything i would yeah. just wait uh and then and then you would come back in and so it, it's gonna be a ton of work to go through and splice and fix all of that. Yeah. Um, let so. me see. Let me see what it sounds like. Cause there, this has happened to yeah. me before and the call oh, recorder yeah. worked. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like, so it wasn't just the, like it was just not coming through on the audio while we were doing it in real time, but there was no like fade out in your talk in, 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 in the recording. It right. Was fine. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. we'll see how that is. I don't okay. know. Like I, I kept. I mean, I turned everything off. I shut every app down other than um, uh, the Skype at one point. Um, I had a call come come through, 
that that also knocked you out. I don't know. So I'm not sure what the like what the issue is. If it's our internet or my you know what it is. I'm on. Yeah, I don't know. So we'll see. Yeah, you you yeah. So you just you just you just cut out just now. Um, and I I have also been shutting things down. I thought it was uh, I was doing a time capsule backup, but I don't think that was it. So um, yeah, I, I think it just was, was was internet weather today. So could be could be okay. So anyway, throw your audio file in, and I'll work on this this afternoon. Um, I want to get this out before I see you tomorrow. Sounds good. Um, okay, so shall we? Let's do this now. Oh, we should schedule. Yeah. Yeah. So 15th is good. 16th is pretty good. 17th, yeah. Um, that whole week. Yeah, fifth, uh, so that uh, that week I'm going to back to upstate New York to Buffalo oh. um, to uh, to give a talk uh, because of uh, being um, uh, ASM uh, lecturer. Oh. So but but Monday the 15th is open. Um, so I could do, uh, I could do the morning. I've got to, I've got to, I got to go to campus for a meeting. Um, but I could do, uh, I could do anytime before I've got to, I got to be at a meeting at noon. So, okay. Well, do you want to try like say nine thirty then? Does that give you sure. enough time? That's fine. Yep. Yeah. And then, uh, we'll hold that. I'm going to book it until noon and then, sorry, I was dealing with some other stuff this morning. Oh, no worries. I was, I've almost made, um, uh, you know, Roderick and Temkin, uh, level lateness because <laughs> <laughs> we don't know exactly what it is, but it seems like they're always late. It could be, yeah. could be, um, cool. Oops. That's the wrong one. It goes in this calendar. Apply. Okay. So oh. there we are. All right. Um, okay. October 15th is a go. All right. Sounds good. We'll Go. talk to you then. You bet. And I'll talk to you in like two minutes. In, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, and then, and then later in the week, I'll see you live. I know. And am I going to, I sounds like I'm going to get to meet your parents. Uh, yes, I think so. I oh think so. Gosh. I think it's, it's in the cards. That should be exciting. I'm very excited. <laughs> I'm very excited for this. I look forward to talking about your, um, your, uh, hockey, uh, um, uh, brief hockey career when you're uh, a, a child and uh yeah i'm looking forward to this now it's good uh all right i'll talk to you in a couple of minutes all right bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.